Hey everyone, and welcome to the 24th episode of The Liam McCollum Show. This is definitely a big one. I'm talking to Joe Jorgensen, the Libertarian presidential candidate, and I wanna leave any commentary that I might have until after the interview, and I wanna just jump into it, have her introduce herself and talk about the issues. Here she is. Libertarian presidential candidate Joe Jorgensen, welcome to the show. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. I really want to get into the issues and kind of talk about as much as possible today. But really quick, could you go over your background, tell people who you are, maybe a little bit about your career before libertarianism and um, introduce yourself? So I'm Dr. Joe Jorgensen. I've got a Ph.D. in industrial organizational psychology and I teach at Clemson University. Now, I have had experience in the business world. After receiving an MBA, I worked for IBM and I later uh, helped co-found a software duplicating firm. So I've had uh, quite a wide variety of experiences. One question I get asked about my background is, well, I guess you must have been student body president or ran for student council or something like that. And my answer is no. I always hated that a few elite students got to make decisions for the rest of us. So I've always been pretty uh, anti-politics. And that's why I'm running now. I look at voting libertarian as an act of self-defense, because basically in order to live your life the way you want to, you've got to get in there and vote against other people to try to get what you want. That's really awesome. That's one of the greatest quotes I've ever heard Um, that at least actually portrays why voting is still essential. So, yeah, I'm I'm really pleased to hear you describe it as an act of self-defense rather than consent or something like that. But thank you for that. Yeah. But before we kind of get into the issues again, uh, I just want to commend you um, for your media and everything that you've done. I, I saw I followed the nomination process a little bit. And the night of when you when you tweeted the hashtag I'm with her, it was it was it was great because I saw Democrats started to actually step on their own feet and they made it trend even more than it probably would have. And I see you, you've gone from 4,000 followers when I first started following to now like 30,000. So you, you've definitely grown a bit and I really commend you for that. Yeah, that that's one of those. And I give my social media person complete credit. And that's one of those cases where just so they spell your name right. <laughs> right, exactly. And to get into the issues now, I want to I want to talk about the issues, but I think that it's more important to talk about current stuff, too. I know that you, you, you really have issues that represent what most people care about. And I think they're focusing on that right now. But starting with police brutality and these riots, what do you make of them? Do you think that race is involved? And what would you do to combat police brutality? Well, I believe race is involved in the peaceful protests because there are people who feel that their voice hasn't been heard for decades. And yes, we do have systemic racism in our system. However, the rioters are completely different group of people. I look at them as opportunists who hijack the system and they're criminals and they need to be stopped. And one of our problems right now is that the problem has escalated very rapidly because the government has militarized the police forces. They've given them, um, you know, uh, grenade launchers and testing and money or, or rather training and then money for other equipment. So now the police, rather than having this serve and protect the community 
mentality that you see written on the side of their cars. Now they've got this soldier mentality of us against them. And I think it's a real shame. And if the federal government hadn't gotten involved where it, where it didn't belong, things would be better off. Because if you think about it, crime is a local issue. Whether you get robbed or mugged or assaulted, that's, that's a local, local issue that should have nothing to do with the federal government. Yeah, absolutely. And you've talked a lot about getting rid of victimless crimes. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? I see Democrats are starting to take credit for this movement again, but there seems to be a correlation between these Democratic policies and over-regulation and over-policing. So can you talk a little bit about that? Oh, yeah. In fact, look at the marijuana industry. There are places in which people are still selling marijuana. Um, I hate to use the word illegally, but let's say under the table because taxes are so high that it, it makes more sense to do that. So uh, once government gets involved, they always find a way to mess it up. But to look at the drug laws in you know just in general, and let me say, yes, of course, they would be claiming credit. We've been we've been saying that we need to end the drug war since the 1970s, right. that the problem with drugs is prohibition uh, or more of the problem is pro- pro- prohibition, not the use. So look at alcohol prohibition. Um, we had uh, organized crime. We had people who had to deal with criminals and it just created an underground society and it created a society of fear. So when alcohol prohibition was lifted, sure, alcohol. Alcohol use went up a little, but just peaceful alcohol use. People who wanted to have a drink in their own homes. But um, alcoholism and the social problems that you get from alcohol did not go up. So again, many Americans want to peacefully use. And so anybody who's at home right now having a martini or a glass of bourbon, and by the way, bourbon is my drug of choice. <laughs> anybody having one of those drinks at home who says, you know, oh, we just can't have people uh, smoking marijuana, well, I would ask them, when's the last time you heard of a liquor store owner in a local high school trying to push gin on the students? <laughs> or when's the last time you heard of somebody breaking into ha- uh, houses to pay for a vodka habit? Or when's the last time you heard of two alcohol stores having a shootout because one of them took the best corner? I mean, all of those are prohibition problems. And if we would allow drugs to be sold by Philip Morris and C, instead of organized crime and street gangs, we would be much better off. Now to move on to a different issue, because I want to cover as much as possible. Um, We're currently dealing with a recession, but we're also dealing with the coronavirus at the same time. Um, How do you intend to fix the economy and address COVID-19 simultaneously? Oh, well, those two are interrelated. And the reason we've lost tens of millions of jobs is that the government has put us under house arrest in which we're not allowed to go to our jobs. So the um, I think Trump did two things wrong in the beginning. First of all, a lot of people don't realize, but before 1962, a drug only had to prove safety. They just had to prove a drug was safe in order to bring it to market. After 1962, they also had to prove and still have to prove efficacy. In other words, does it work? Does it do what they say it will do? And that sounds like, hey, that's a great idea. But that means that it, it you can have delays and it can 
cost anywhere from a million dollars up to a billion dollars just to get one drug approved. And so what we had was we had the FDA as a roadblock to all of this testing. And if we had had early testing, we would have seen from the beginning who can go out and still work their jobs and who needs to stay at home. And the tragedy of that, and, and let me give you some numbers. There were over 60, that's six zero, 60 companies making testing kits. The FDA only approved two of them. So all the other testing kits were sent to the other parts of the world. And we heard about how uh, countries in South Asia were doing a much better job of testing. Yeah, because they had our testing kits. <laughs> they had the testing kits um, from the ingenuity of Americans that we couldn't take advantage of. So that's one problem. The other problem is, is Trump said no need to get tested unless you show symptoms. But now we're seeing that people uh, could have the virus and not have symptoms. Right. And you touched on the issue of healthcare right there. Um, and that's one of the main issues that you have on your website. Can you kind of talk about the issues that we see in healthcare and how you would communicate free market healthcare to the voter? Sure. The one, the one major point I want to get across to every voter is we do not have a free market healthcare system right now. So many times we hear politicians and even people in the media saying, well, our free market system doesn't work. So we have to go to single payer. And I just want to say, no, we don't have a free market system, and we've not had one since at least World War II. But World War II is when things started really turning uh, bad. So what I would suggest is let's look at the only two somewhat free market specialties we have in our healthcare system, and that would be cosmetic surgery and uh, LASIK surgery. And they're somewhat free market because insurance companies don't pay for them. People have to pay out of their own pocket. So what does that mean? That means doctors compete for your business. That means that doctors have to offer better quality and lower prices and prices have been going down. And what I would like to see is I would like to see all doctors have to compete for our business. Uh, not just those two. And to give you an example, Singapore has a fairly free market system in which people control their own healthcare spending, not the insurance companies. And uh, to, to take one comparison, a, a heart uh, heart bypass in our country costs about $130,000, whereas over there it costs 18000 And we talk about companies here, how insurance companies deny claims because they can't afford it. Well, over there, heck, $18,000, sometimes, you know, there have been many people who have paid for a car for $18,000. I mean, granted, maybe it has a six-year loan, but they could at least pay for it. Right. But, you know, better to pay for it, better to pay for an $18,000 surgery than to go without. And I find that interesting there because a lot of, especially people in Gen Z, you know, they do hear those buzzwords, the platitudes about insurance companies, and they do relate to that. And I think that that is something that libertarians can really attack. I mean, the issue is these insurance companies, but it's also the fact that the government's behind them. Exactly. And so a couple other things. Whenever I hear Medicare for all, what I'm hearing is VA hospital for all. And do we really want that? We have seen what our government does when it's in charge of a monopolistic system, a monopolistic healthcare system, and it is not good. Also, we've had two states in which we did have essentially Medicare for all. Um, Hawaii, who had to shut it down after two months, and Vermont, who had to shut it down after about five or six months. So we've tried it and it doesn't work. However, we have tried more of a 
free market system where we give the power to the um, patients. The state of Indiana for its employees has a system in which you are in charge of your healthcare dollars and doctors do have to compete. Now, here's what's interesting is before they instituted the system and it was voluntary, but people gladly did it because it came out ahead. So before they instituted the system, um, only 10% of the state employees bought generic drugs. Only 10% of the drugs bought were generic. And, you know, why would somebody buy a generic drug? You know, you're not paying for it. You pay your little copay and let the insurance company worry about. You know, nobody ever spends uh, somebody else's money as well as they spend their own. Now, if you look just like a year or two later, 90% of people buy generic drugs. And here's the best part. They're glad to do it because they get to keep the savings. And that's the way it should work. If you go out and buy gas for your car or buy groceries or buy a new computer, if you can find something at a cheaper price, you get to keep the leftover money. And why shouldn't you? So that's what we really need is we need to have people out there, um, you know, fighting, getting, um, you know, basically competition. Uh, You don't last very long in the car dealership business if you keep offering higher priced cars without good quality. So why should we uh, stand for it in medicine? And um, one other thing, too, as well, with the healthcare industry, which is that we've seen over the years, government spending has increased in healthcare over the years. And the more the government gets into it, the higher the prices go. Mm. So why do we want more government when government is the one that's causing that and taking away our choice? Right. And I think that the most important part of that is the fact that it is a monopoly. Um, you know, that is something that we've, we've been trained to be afraid of. But like, especially with the police brutality issue, with the healthcare issue, it translates to everything. It's all a monopoly. And it's a result of that. Exactly. And and there's one little thing that people don't realize, by the way, about insurance companies. And and, and by the way, I, and I didn't mean to gloss over your point so much, mm-hmm. which is that, yes, ask the average person, do you like um, do you like uh Monopolies. Do you think that we should have, you know, automobile monopolies or, you know, whatever? And they say, oh, no, no, monopolies are evil. They don't respond to you. They don't care to help you because you've got no other choice. You have no other place to go to. Well, why would you want to put something as crucial, as important as your health care into the interests of a monopoly when they're not going right. to care about you? But a lot of people say, well, you know what? We have insurance companies trying to hold down costs. And what a lot of people don't really realize is that in order for an insurance company to grow in profit and to, you know, become larger, because that's what companies like to do, right? Whether you're selling computers, you're selling groceries, you want to increase sales. Well, the only way to increase sales is to pay out more in claims than you did the year before. So, um, of course, they have to deny many claims because if they just accepted any claim, they'd go out of business. But instead, what they do is they accept just they, they pay out just enough in claims. So the following year, 
they can raise premiums even more. And then the mm-hmm. next year, they're going to increase their claims even more. So the following year, they can increase premiums even more. So you've actually got nobody trying to hold down the cost of healthcare. To move into more issues, um, you talk about the environment as, as another issue that the voter is concerned about. Can you talk about how the free market can actually solve this issue? Oh, absolutely. Again, we have people saying, well, those evil corporations, they have to be held in check. And that's why we need government to do it. What they don't realize is that the way these evil corporations get their power is from big government because they're the lobbyists. They're the special interests. They're the ones who make campaign contributions so that then they can get special favors. So the the one thing that I like to point to is the Gulf um, oil spill that we had recently. Well, I mean, it's been several years, Mm -hmm. but a lot of people said, see, greedy corporation, we need government. What they don't know is that government put a cap on their liability so that when they did spill the oil, it was like, oh, well, sorry. Now, in a free market, they would have had to have gone to an insurance company to insure them. Otherwise, if they had an oil spill or something, they could have gone bankrupt. So the insurance company could have done one of two things. They could have either said, no, too risky. We're not going to insure you in which case they wouldn't even be drilling out there. Or they could have said, well, we'll insure you, but it's risky. So we're going to make weekly or monthly visits out here just to make sure that, you know, we're not going to have an accident. So you've got a profit motive. You've got an insurance company saying we don't want to pay out claims. So we're going to go out there and make sure that we don't have to pay out a claim. But the government you know, what do they care? They pass it on to the taxpayers. They will, the government will never go out of business. There's no accountability. Another one of the issues that you talk about is war. We're currently in, I believe it's seven official wars right now. Can you talk about your position on that? Yes. I want to bring all the troops home. I want to turn America into one giant Switzerland, armed and neutral. There's no reason for us to be the world's policemen. First of all, it's costly. There's no reason for us to be helping to subsidize wealthy Europe's uh, military, let France and Germany pay for their own military. And, you know, if it were just the money, that'd be one thing. But even worse, it's causing lives and it's causing us to be less safe. We're less safe. We're over there in the Middle East creating problems. And what's ironic here is that the purpose of the military is to protect its citizens. And here they are making us less safe. And all we have to do is look at 9-11 to see what happens. And I think one of the most interesting things about this position is all over, um, you'll probably be called an isolationist um, rather than a non-interventionist. You want to talk about that? Yep. And that's why, uh, and I didn't come up with a Switzerland example on my own. Uh, somebody helped me with that, but he, um, was a, he was a, an activist longer than I was. Mm-hmm. And he, the problem with saying that you don't want to, um, be the world's policeman is you'll be called an isolationist. So we're going to say one giant Switzerland because everybody knows Switzerland trades with other companies. They welcome tourists. Their citizens go to other countries. Countries, they're not isolated. They're not isolationist. And in fact, I would say, um, well, I will say I want the opposite. I want us to trade with other companies because that's the best way to keep from getting bombed. You know, uh, Japan bombed us in World War II. Well, 
they're not going to bomb us now, considering we buy so many Toyotas and uh, Hondas from them. <laughs> so that's the best way to keep from needing a large military force. But I'd like to point out, even if we cut our military budget by two thirds, even if we brought our troops home, our budget would still be tied with the largest budget on this earth. So we would still be tied for the largest budget, even if we brought our troops home and drastically cut our military. Mm. To move on, another one of your issues is education, and most voters are concerned about that. Do you want to talk a little bit about that as well? Yeah, well, first of all, I shouldn't be talking about education because that's a local issue. Parents, teachers, and students should be in charge of education, not the federal government. We should have never had a Department of Education to begin with. You know, look at look at the issues out there. Look at the needs. Uh, people in rural Appalachia have much different needs than, let's say, people in downtown New York City. So why should we have a one-size-fits-all uh, Department of Education? in Washington, putting edicts out for the rest of the country. How about leaving that up to the individual parents? And this is where we get back to, you know, people are saying how divided we are. Part of that's because so much goes through the government. If we had a free market system in which people could make their own choices, then uh, you, you could make that decision. Whereas right now what you have is you've got, let's say you want prayer in the school for your child. Let's say your next door neighbor doesn't. Well, guess what? You have to be enemies and you have to be at odds with each other because there's only one system and you got to go vote to keep your neighbor from getting his or her way. Whereas in a free market system, you can both have your own way and, and just use different curriculum. But again, Washington gives us one set that they want everybody to follow. And it doesn't even make sense. Yeah. And on that note, just to kind of finish up here, talking about education, you are you're a psychologist. Do you want to talk a little bit about about uh, maybe the biggest thing that you've learned from your education that has contributed to libertarianism? Well, and, and let me just mention, since I live in South Carolina, even though I have a PhD, I'm not allowed to call myself a psychologist mm. because of licensing laws, which again, a libertarian issue we can get into yeah. on another day. Um, but uh, I don't, I mean, there's a lot that I've learned behind the scenes but I would just say that in one of my social psychology textbooks, I learned a statistic that I didn't know. And that is with regard to tragedy of the commons. So we're kind of talking about the environment here and, um, you know, who, who better to take care of the land, much better to have uh, people take care of it than the government. So the Soviet Union was basically starving its people. And they had a system from each according to his ability to each according to his need, right? So uh, they had a system of we pretend to work and you pretend to pay us. So of course people aren't going to work as hard as they could if they don't get the benefits from it. So people were starving. So the U.S. the, the USSR finally gave in and said, okay, fine, we will let you have little plots of land. You know, even though that's even though that's private ownership, uh, we'll let you make your own little gardens so that we can at least alleviate this problem. Well, only three percent, three percent, three percent of the farmland in, uh, consisted of these basically individual gardens. And yet it produced 30 percent of the food mm. because, because people had motivation and people aren't going to do anything if they don't have the motivation and if they don't get any benefit from 
from it. We do something because we get something from it. And now to finish up here, if, if there's anything else that you would like to say to people, um, please do. But I do have a question. I saw that you are potentially going on Joe Rogan. Is this confirmed? Oh, I, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> the, the, the people who uh, handle my schedule <laughs> do that. Well, so I, I haven't heard yet. So if if you don't, I did see that there is a comment under a post and it has your blue check mark right next to it. You will be on yeah. Joe Rogan, it looks like, which we all look forward to. Um, you have grown a lot and we can't wait to see what happens. So um, if, if there's anything else that you have to say, please do. And then uh, uh, you can tell people how to help your campaign and that'd be great. Well, thanks for that. Yeah. And I would mention that with the Democrats and Republicans, we've been saying for years that there's really no choice there. And, and now people are clearly seeing it. And even the media is saying, you know, we've got two rich white guys uh, running against each other. If you want a real alternative and not just because I'm a woman, but because of my policies, because my policies are different, I want to take the uh, power out of the special interest to please look into my campaign please go to joj2020.com and the one thing that we're just so overwhelmed with is we are having so many non-libertarian volunteers usually that doesn't happen so early in the campaign so we are just so ecstatic and of course in november please vote libertarian if you want a real change and most people do awesome well thank you so much joe well thank you and have a good day it's the weekend and we can let go. It's the full send and it's the get go. It's the get go. Get go. Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation. It's probably my biggest interview of all time, and it will be. Um, especially if she has a lot of success on the campaign trail. And I think she will. I think the times definitely allow that or will allow that, especially since everyone's kind of in the situation where they have to conduct interviews over Zoom or on TV, kind of equalizes everyone and provides little humility. You see Joe Biden on Zoom chats and he's kind of, you know, this establishment character. He's been a politician. He's been in the scene for a while and he has to sit behind a Zoom camera and he doesn't have a crowd to pump him up. So I I find that pretty interesting. Um, And also 2020 has proved to be quite an interesting year. It's it's exposed a lot of things um, that the government is inefficient at. And I have some previous episodes on that. Uh, if you haven't listened, if this is your first time, please go back and um, go to those. I'm going to have Spike Cohen on. He is on the ticket with Joe Jorgensen as her VP. I figured we'd talk more because I have a little bit more time with him. We'll talk more about philosophy, the philosophy behind libertarianism, um, because what I do find interesting is that what's different about libertarianism is that it's an actual idea. I saw I saw a post and let me find it here. It's from Libertarian Party of Texas, LP Texas on Twitter. It says, how to recognize that an idea is spreading. 523,715 votes in 2008, 1,275,971 votes in 2012, and then 4,489,341 votes in 2016. Election day is 143 days away, and this was posted, I believe, on Saturday. 
Let's see how far liberty can spread. Join us. And then it says hashtag vote gold. And the tweet clearly says that libertarianism is an idea. And I originally started this podcast kind of as a neutral, you know, platform. I wanted to interview many people and I and I did. I have interviewed people from different perspectives. I've interviewed Pulitzer Prize winners. I've, you know, I've interviewed different journalists. But, you know, I think it's probably smarter, especially in today's age where there's so many um, different media outlets to come forward with my actual slant. You know, a lot of people pretend to be objective and they aren't. And I do want to have opportunities to interview people from different perspectives. And I want to at least be straightforward with who I am. And if that, you know, closes doors and certain people don't want to come on the podcast because of certain views that I may have, then honestly, I think that's more their fault than mine. And I just want to be honest about that. So I, I, I do think this is an idea that's spreading and I and I want to share that. I do want to have more people on the podcast um, just to inform you guys about that, because I think that this is a growing idea and it's really grounded in philosophy that I hope to share with you guys. Um, and I, I plan on releasing some episodes going through some philosophers that have kind of helped the movement. But to finish this episode, I want to share my thoughts about the whole argument that voting for a third party is actually a vote for one of the other candidates. So you'll often hear a Donald Trump supporter say, oh, well, a vote for Joe Jorgensen is a vote for Biden or the other way around. And that's the funny part. And I actually want to propose that a vote for Joe Biden is actually a vote for Donald Trump. So <laughs> vote for the better Joe. You know, that's that's how ridiculous it sounds, especially when it goes both ways. But we have to remember that 40% of the voting base, um, they don't vote. There's 40% of the voting base who says that they're independent, says that they don't want to vote for a candidate, and they don't vote. You know, I believe it's only 60% of registered voters every election cycle actually vote. So I want to argue that this argument is actually unsound. Since only 60% of registered voters actually vote in an election, you would have to assume that the 40% of voters who don't vote would vote Republican or Democrat in any other scenario. If they were to vote for Joe Jorgensen this cycle, you would have had to have assumed that they would have voted for Joe Biden or Donald Trump in the first place. But like I said previously, we already know that 40% of voters don't vote Republican or Democrat. It's not them throwing away their vote if they wouldn't have voted any other way. So I just want to I just want to make that clear. Nobody owns your vote. Please vote your conscience. You still have freedom of conscience. Don't let people take it away. And I hope you come back. I hope you enjoyed this interview and I hope you enjoyed this commentary. I plan on releasing some more, but you can listen to my podcast on YouTube, SoundCloud, Spotify, and Apple. Also, give me a like, subscribe, give me five stars, whatever you like. And please tune back soon. Thank you.